0: If you've been here or maybe uh, you're new to Crossroads or it's your first time here, uh, every summer the last several years we have gone through a series entitled A Summer in the Psalms. A Summer in the Psalms and we spend from Memorial Day weekend all the way through Labor Day weekend and we take a psalm a week and we go through the book of the Psalms. And so somebody asked me this morning how many years was it still going to take you to finish, and I told him ten, probably another ten uh, summers. So hang in there, hang in there. Uh, but we're looking forward to going through every one of the Psalms uh, together as a church family, and. We see a secret sequence beginning in verse number or Psalm ninety-two of the next four or five psalms that were traditionally sung together or written together as a cluster of psalms. And imagine coming into a song service at church and them saying, "All right, let's open our Bible to the Book of Psalms and let's sing together." Uh, Because the psalms were written to be sung. Uh, So we get to Psalm 92 through 96. It was one giant psalm. And so they would sing that together. uh, Sung on the Sabbath as a reminder of all that the Lord had done for them. And this is Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Tomorrow, Memorial Day. And you think about Memorial Day and it's a day set aside to remember the sacrifices of those who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And in contrast, we come on church to church on the weekend and we celebrate the sacrifice of someone who died for our freedom. And we, in, in addition to that, we celebrate not only that he died, but that he rose for us. Not just his death, but also his resurrection. Henry Morris said, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. It all hinges on the resurrection. And David, as he's writing this sequence of psalms, begins in Psalm 92. And kind of give us a preliminary thought of why we should Praise the Lord. So Psalm 92, and if you're taking notes, you can write down number one, the singing, the singing. Uh, Let's begin reading in uh, verse number one, and we'll read a couple verses for sake of context, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll dive right in today. Psalm 92 in verse number one says, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. I love how the psalm just kind of jumps right in the deep end of the pool and says, This is good. This is something that's right. This is proper. But why? It says to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, thy faithfulness every night, upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, upon the heart, with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy works. I will triumph in the works of thy Hands. Oh Lord, how great are thy works and thy thoughts are very deep. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for the truths and the promises that we find. Here in your scripture. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts this morning. and Lord, please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of sin that's unconfessed. And help me to be clean as I preach your word to your people this morning. Please help me to remember the things that I've studied this week. Trying to be a blessing to your people. Lord, I ask that you please help us to praise you. Not because we feel like it, Lord, but help us to feel like it. Lord, help us to praise you, not because of something that we've done. Lord, because of everything that you have done. Lord, I ask that you please receive our worship and praise this morning. Lord, please speak to hearts. And if there's one here today that doesn't know you personally as their Lord and Savior, help them to see their spiritual need today, whether someone watching online or in the room. Lord, help us to see that you are worthy of our praise And Lord, help us to be willing to praise you with a heart of thanksgiving. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for loving us and proving that love by sending your Son in Jesus' name. Amen. The singing, the psalm begins with an expectation of praise. The expectation that people will praise the Lord. But as we look at the question, as we look at the statement... We may say, well, why should I praise the Lord, Pastor? What's the purpose? What, What does He expect of my praise? What am I praising exactly? Number one, we see the title that's mentioned in verse number one. He talks about His position as the ruler of the universe. He says, oh, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. All capital letters, Lord of the universe, the supreme creator, and to sing praises unto thy name, all Most High. The Lord Most High. It's appropriate for us to worship the Lord. It's right for us. It is good for us. It show play, uh, showcases His position as the sovereign ruler over the entire earth and nothing happens without his knowledge we see first chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11 and 12 thine O lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine thine is the kingdom O lord for thou art exalted as head above all it doesn't seem like there's room for second place does it uh, room. He is head above all, verse 12, both riches and honor come of thee and thou reignest over all and in thine hand is power and might and in thine hand it is to make grain and to give strength unto all. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And We could say, well, you know, Pastor, that's all the Old Testament. That's all Old Testament text and we don't acknowledge that. or I don't read the Old Testament because I don't understand half of it. Let's go to the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. For by Him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Verse 18 says, and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence see his title deserves and demands our praise and not just something where well you know pastor when I come to church if I feel the spirit move during the song service I might sneak up my hand or I might raise my hanky or whatever Uh, but his title demands demands our praise he is worthy and see we're good at praising other things but when was the last time that you praised the one who made all things We're good at praising other things, but when was the last time that you praised the one who made all things? See, he is our everything. The one who made all things. He is worthy of our praise. It is good. It is a good thing. Verse 1. It is proper. It's right. Psalm 106 verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. See, he is the one who is worthy of our praise. And let's just be honest if we're not gonna praise him, who else would we praise instead of him? Because if you're not gonna praise him, the only other likely candidate that you would praise is the one you look at in the mirror. The one you look at in the mirror, it's either him or it's you. And can I just side note right here and just let us all in on a secret? You and I don't deserve any praise. We don't deserve it. We praise Him because He is the only one who is worthy of our praise. You might be new here and say, man, these people are crazy. They're talking while the pastor's talking. And I don't understand some of this stuff. And, uh, hey, I, I don't know what this is all about. But if you've been in the family of God for any length of time, this should not be new to you. This should be something that you are well familiar with. We should praise the Lord. And you ought to maybe ask yourself, what does my praise look like? Whether I'm in public, whether I'm in private, how do I praise the Lord? And how do I showcase His glory in my praise? And We see His title. And then number two, we see the trustworthiness that's mentioned. In verse 2 and 3, we're to sing praises unto him. Why? To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. David mentions the consistent nature of our God and when we should pray him, uh, praise him. Morning and evening. Day and night. And he mentions two things that we should praise him for. Number one, he mentions the loving kindness. And number two, he mentions his faithfulness. Remember Psalm 143 and verse number 8, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto thee. Question this morning. When you wake up, when you woke up this morning, what was the first thing that came across your mind? Uh, did I pre-make the coffee? <laughs> did, uh, where, where do I get my cup of Starbucks? You know, where, where do I get my cup of coffee? Uh, where do I begin? Uh, are the kids' Bibles where they're supposed to be? And, uh, do they have their shoes? And Are they going to scream on the way to church? Uh, am I going to have a good day today? Uh, what's the song going to be like? And, uh, what's my schedule? Uh, how many appointments do I have today? All of those different things. But David says, Lord, remind me when I wake up. Remind me of your loving kindness. Uh, the word in Hebrew is the Hebrew word kased, and it means goodness or kindness. Goodness or kindness. Lord, help me to remember each day your goodness. You know, we might say, well, Pastor, I really have to think about how God has been good to me. I really have to sit and think and wonder, where is God's goodness in my life? When you wake up, when you open your eyes... It was a testimony that he's good. When you open your eyes, when you could see the ceiling, when you could, by your own power and strength, swing the legs over and get out of bed, when you could get up and have breakfast this morning, and some of those things might not apply to you, but the fact that you are still breathing is a sign, an indicator that he's still good. I say, Pastor, uh, my life is, and you fill in the blank with some stuff that's not goodness. Some stuff that you would say is not loving kindness. That does not diminish the fact that he is still good. He is good in spite of us. Goodness starts the day, but are we praising him for it? But he didn't just stop there. He said, show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Goodness starts the day. Hey, Lord, thank you for being good. Thank you for giving me another day. And then the end of the day is thanking him for his faithfulness. Lord, thank you for being faithful today. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness throughout my day. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great. How has God shown you his faithfulness this week? How has God shown you His faithfulness in your life? He's been faithful to you in your childhood, in your teen years, uh, in your young adulthood, in your middle age years as a senior because He is faithful. Not He will be, not He has been. He is evermore is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1 verse number 9. God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And you may say, well, Pastor My life has not gone like I planned. Uh, There's been some hardship. There's been some hurt in my life. But has there ever been a day in your life when he hasn't been there? No. Not one. He might not have been in your life every single day. Maybe before Christ when you were living on your own, you didn't have a relationship with him. He may not have been in you, but I promise he was around you. I promise that He was looking over you, getting you to a point where you could make a decision about who He is in your life. Nothing has ever taken Him by surprise, and nothing ever will. We see the titleness. We see that He's trustworthy. And number three, we see the test in verse 4 and 5. It says, For Thou, Lord, hast made me glad through Thy works." Three different times in these two verses, he talks about the Lord's works. Thy works, the works of thy hands, thy works. How do we get the title, Lord Most High? How do we know that he is trustable? It's all because of his wondrous works. It's all because of the things that he does. Everything has his fingerprints on it. Everything is done according to his plan. And some might say, well, pastor, uh, then why Would God allow bad in my life if he is so good? You know, it's the wrong question to ask. Because bad, he's not responsible for. Because the Bible tells us in James that every good and perfect gift comes from above. He's responsible for the good. you know who's responsible for the bad? We are. We are. Remember, it was mankind who sinned in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't God. God put Adam and Eve, a perfect couple, in a perfect place, a perfect environment, perfect relationship, and said, keep one law. One. You ever heard somebody say, man, if I just had one thing to do, I, man, I could kill it. Well, Adam and Eve couldn't keep one. One. They broke the one thing that God said don't do. That's what they did. One. Simply One. And mankind has brought sin on itself, and yet somehow we want to blame God for what we're responsible for. You ever wondered about that? The fact that when something bad happens, our first inclination is to blame God, and it's not His fault. It tells us in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, it's not God's fault. God loves us and offers us a way out, a way of redemption by sending his son Jesus. But not every man will take that way out. Not everyone did David rejoice through the hardships of life or did he choose to rejoice in God's faithfulness through the hardships of life? He said in verse 4, "For Lord, for thou Lord hast made me glad through thy works." Notice he didn't say through the hard times. I think sometimes we have a false misunderstanding or a misunderstanding that we're supposed to praise God for the bad stuff. That's not what the Bible says. I'm supposed to thank God for what he does because of the bad in my life. Lord, thank you so much that I woke up this morning and I I am sick and and I spent all night uh, throwing up. And uh, Lord, thank you so much for all that. No, 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 we don't do that. Uh, Lord, thank you that I'm going. Thank you for this hardship that I'm enduring. That's not what we thank God for. We thank God for what that hardship will produce in us. James chapter 1 and verse 2, verse 3. Here it is. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Now, if you just read that verse, make a claim. Hey, I, I man, that sounds kind of weird that God wants me to say, it is good for me to suffer. No, no, that's not what it's saying. Because the next verse amplifies verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Verse 3, knowing this. There it is. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. When I suffer, when I go through hardships, when I go through trials and difficulties, God is using them to produce Christ-likeness in me. God uses the bad for good. That is what we can thank God for. Through His works. Remember our theme from several years ago, Psalm 118, 23? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now here's the thing. We see all around us God's handiwork. But do we step back and say it's marvelous? No, not all of it. But shouldn't we? Hey, Lord, what you're doing, I'm not going to thank you for the hardship that I'm facing, but I am going to thank you for your goodness To me, in spite of the hardship, I am gonna thank you for your faithfulness to me in spite of the hardship. I am gonna thank you for being with me and not forsaking me, standing alongside me. I am gonna thank you for that, Lord, even though this is difficult. If you know the testimony of Johnny Erickson Tata, how that as a young lady, she dove into shallow water and broke her neck, became instantly paralyzed from the shoulders down. And she could have been bitter. Her own testimony is that she spent the next several months angry at God, bitter for allowing it to happen. She had her whole life ahead of her. But later in life, God has used her testimony in a powerful way to encourage millions, literally millions of people. She said this. Johnny said, He has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace The greatest good suffering can do for me is to increase my capacity for God. Real satisfaction comes not in understanding God's motives, but in understanding His character. Don't try to figure out, pause the quote, don't try to figure out God's motives. You and I will never understand His motives. But we can trust His character and that He is good and faithful and true. Go back to the quote. Sorry, just needed to say. But in understanding his character and trusting in his promises and in leaning on him and resting in him as the sovereign who knows what he is doing and does all things well. See, David chose to rejoice in what God was doing, not in what others were doing. Look back at verse number 4. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. Lord, I'm going to thank you for what you are doing. And look what he says, I will triumph in the works of thy hands. Verse 5, O Lord, how great are thy works and thy thoughts are very deep. When was the last time you thanked him for what he was doing and stopped complaining for what others were doing around you? Lord, I just wish that you would take care of my boss and you would show them how mighty and powerful. Save them first and then squash them. (laughs) But instead, uh, you laugh, but some of you are like, "This pastor's reading my mail this morning. Uh, But when's the last time we thanked him for his faithfulness, goodness, his long-suffering, his loving-kindness? All of that, David chose and said, Lord, I'm going to thank you and rejoice in what you're doing. Not in what others are doing. I'm not going to praise you for other people, what they're doing. He chose to rejoice in what God was doing. Not in what others were doing. Thy works. So we see, at number one, we see the singing. He said, I'm going to praise him. And then number two, we see the struggle. The struggle. The struggle. He changes direction to talk about the effect of the wicked. And let me just stop and say, when David uses the term the wicked, we we try to quantify that, wicked, that's godless. Uh, That's the people who are anti-God. When we see the wicked, we clarify that and we equate that to anyone who does not have the hope of Christ. That's who it's talking about. So literally, anyone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior. They fall into that category, lost. They're they're the wicked. They fall into that grouping. But look, the struggle. He mentions the people in verse 6 and 7. He said, a brutish man knoweth not. Doesn't know what? He doesn't know his works. He doesn't know God's handiwork. He doesn't know his loving kindness and faithfulness. He's not even trying to. Neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. Verse 9 For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. No matter what we do, there will always be people around us who do wrong. No matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, but because of their refusal to acknowledge Him, they continue down a path of destruction and they miss out on what God's trying to do. They miss out on His handiwork. And they blame God for what they have done. For their refusal to acknowledge, they blame God. John 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Proverbs 4.19, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. I want to illustrate that this morning. I have this beautiful blindfold. And AJ, you get to wear it. Come on, AJ. AJ's getting married in a month. Woo! He's excited. Just a little excited. All right. Are you excited? Okay. All right. Just just make it sure. All right. She is sitting right there. All right. So, uh, AJ, you get to wear the blindfold. And for this illustration only, you are a wicked man. All right. So, Hannah did not ask me to do this. Okay. Uh, But I want you to wear this blindfold. And what we're going to do, we're going to go right down here. And uh, we're going to go down on the main level. And all I'm going to ask you to do, AJ, is I'm going to ask you to walk from here to the back. Okay, Pretty simple. I mean, I... I'm not going to spin you around four times, make you dizzy or anything like that, but I want you to put this blindfold on, and I'll go ahead and let you do it, and uh, we're going to make it dark, make it dark, okay? All right, right. so let me give you some some clarification before you do that, all right? Now, think about church as we talk about this. AJ is what kind of man? He's a wicked man, all right? right. We'll we'll get you right before you get married next month, okay? Uh, But great, and she's excited, Uh, but... During this time of our life, the wicked look at life differently than we do. We see hardship and pain and suffering and uh, things that we go through, hurts. We see those things as, hey, God is using those things to cultivate me and make me more like Jesus. Now, you guys that Brother John walked by just a minute ago, I'm going to ask you to stand up where you are. And I'm going to ask you to step out. In this area right here, okay, and and kind of kind of scatter, kind of scatter through. All right, now, AJ, yeah. Dusty, come right over here. Hey, perfect. Okay. All right. Now, AJ, super simple. Your your objective has not changed. Okay. All right. All you have to do. I'm going to line you up. Okay. I'm going to put you right dead center. This is not spinning around. Not messing net messing with you, anything like that. But all you have to do is walk about. Thirty feet, and you'll arrive where you saw just a minute ago. Okay, all right. But as you go, don't. It's not a race. Okay, there's nobody else racing you. Uh, you're just gonna hey carefully walk because as you walk in your life, you may face some stuff. Okay, and if you run into anything along the way, you just stop. Okay. Sound good. Sound good. All right. So go ahead. Just straightforward. Straightforward. All right. Oh, all right. Stop right there. All right. All right. Now, I'm going to redirect you, okay? All right. Now, there's a point to this. All right. Miss Melanie. All right. Ready? Go ahead. Oh, oh. okay. All right. Now, stop. All right. Now, you ran into something, and there's a lady in front of you holding a card that says pain. Okay? Okay? All right. Now, I'm going to redirect you. There's a point to this. I'm going to redirect you. I'm gonna just move you, okay? All right. All right, now straight ahead. All right, stop, stop, stop. All right, stop. Now you're good. You're good. All right. now, Miss Pam is holding a card this is hurt. Okay? All right?'m All right, I'm, I'm gonna redirect you. I'm gonna redirect you, okay? Now, straight ahead, straight ahead. Okay? You're good. You're good. You're good. All right, now stop. Okay? Now you just ran into. Mr. Neal, and he's holding a card that says "struggle." All right. Now, I'm gonna let you slide over just a little bit there, Brother Neal. All right. Now, all right. Now you're gonna take about six steps forward. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. Stop. All right. You can take the blindfold off. Okay. All right. Now here's here's where we are. Okay. And you did a great job. Now here's here's what I'm trying to show. What kind of man is AJ? He's a wicked man. All right, now AJ, come back down here. He made it all the way through on his path. He didn't know as he started out. Remember, he's blindfolded. He's walking in darkness. Here's the analogy. He's walking in darkness and you see these people holding up. Pain, pain, hurt, hurt, hardship, struggle all along the way. Here's the wicked man. The wicked man walks in darkness and when he stumbles upon something, There's a response. The natural response of the wicked man is, hey, that's not fair. I shouldn't go through that. And who does he blame? Does he blame himself? Oh, no. Because for the wicked, they can do no wrong. It's not their fault that they're in the mess they're in. Who do they blame? They blame God. And so now when I go through pain, when I hurt, when I struggle, it's not my fault. It's God's fault. And all along the way, When you run into that, what happens? There's a redirection. I'm putting you somewhere else. Who does the redirection? Think about it. It's God. God is trying to redirect them. They're going to hit struggles, opportunities, obstacles along the way. But listen, you could put somebody right here and we could do the analogy all over again and say this person is a righteous person. Does the path get any more clear just because you're righteous? No, absolutely not. But our perspective does. Because then when I hit these things, it's like, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? And now I'm not blaming God. Here it is. I'm thanking God. Lord, I'm not thanking you for the pain, but I can thank you for what you're going to do through that pain. I'm not thanking you for the struggle or the hardship or the hurt. Now I can actually thank you for what you're trying to produce in me through those things. And here's the awesome thing. All along the way, there's somebody redirecting, redirecting all along the path. And sometimes the redirector directs you right in the direction of the pain. Sometimes the one who knows all things puts you right on a collision course with hurt or struggle or suffering or hardship. Why? Because he knows what we don't know. And he knows I'm not trying to make the wicked man look like the wicked. I'm trying to let the wicked man look like me. I'm trying to use this so that the wicked sees there's somebody above me who's directing me. And he's trying to use this to point my attention upward, not inward. inward upward, not inward. And it's the same thing. For the righteous man. God puts us on that path and allows us to come across those obstacles. Not so that we look inward. Not so that we blame God. But that we thank God for what He's trying to get us to become. Because His goal is so that we become more like Him. Not more like us. Thanks, AJ. Appreciate it. All right. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. You can sit down. Thank you for helping. So this morning we have to ask... Are you blaming you? Are you blaming God? Are you thanking God? Because we could say, well, you know, Pastor, it's all about my circumstances. It's all about, you know, I was born into this, and I I was born this way. And when I choose to disobey God's Word, it's not my fault. It's God's fault because God allowed all this to happen. God put me on this course, and it's His fault. I'm going to blame Him. Remember, in Exodus When Moses went up on top of the mountain, and remember who got left in charge? Aaron. And Moses was gone a long time. And what do the people say? Exodus chapter 32, verse 22 through 25. They come to Aaron and said, hey, uh, you know, we don't know what's happened to Moses. Uh, We want you to make us a calf so that we can have a God to worship. So what does Aaron do? Aaron says, hey, I'm afraid that they're going to kill me. The Bible says as he's talking to Moses, this is after Moses has come down, sees what's going on, is furious at his own brother. And what does Aaron say? Here's the excuse: Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot, thou knowest the people. And hey, you know how they are, Moses. You've dealt with them before. You know that their hearts are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods, which shall go before us. Verse 24. And I said unto them, Whatso- "Whatsoever Whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it me, and I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Really? That's what we're going with. I, Moses, you know, I, I put it in, and this whoosh. there's this calf all of a sudden. Now, here's where it is, verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked. That's God's writing. God is saying there was somebody leading them. Somebody behind the scenes, pulling the strings. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. See, sin is always a willful choice. Sin is always a willful choice. And for me to sit back and say, man, that calf just jumped out of the the pot. Wow. Is the exact same argument for me to say, you know what? This is the way I was born. This is the way I was born. I'm just acting out of the way that I was born. That's not biblical. Because sin is a willful choice. And God's Word still says the same thing that it did when it was written. So believing that we're that way is like believing that a calf appeared out of the fire by accident. People don't make good choices naturally. Do we? No, we don't make good choices naturally. We make poor choices. The people Then we see the place that's mentioned. Verse 8, verse 10 and 11. While people might sin, it does not change the place of God. Look at verse 8. For thou, Lord, art most high. There it is again. Forevermore. Verse 10 and 11. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. Woo! Not what we would think, unicorn. Uh, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on my enemies, and my ears shall hear my desire of the wicked. See, we might stress over the world around us, but there's a God in heaven over us. We might look and say, Oh my goodness, what in the world's gonna happen? And God says, I got it all under control. And David recognized the superiority of God. The wicked may feel like they're winning, but it's only a temporary feeling. It's going to change. 1 Peter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ear are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Psalm 37, 25. I have been young, now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Psalm one forty five twenty: 20. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. Not only is the Lord higher than the wicked, He also allows us to see their downfall. D.A. Carson said, If the Bible talked only about the love of God, carefully delineating different ways of speaking of that love, but never spoke of God's hatred or His wrath, we would be dealing with quite a different God. God is a God of love. Yes, He is. But He is also a holy, righteous, vengeful God. Sinclair Ferguson said, God's holy wrath is poured out on what He hates because it damages and destroys what He loves. Think about that. God, holy wrath is poured out on what He hates because it damages and destroys what He loves. Hey, and the wicked say, well, pastor, that's people. Yeah, but those people have refused to receive Him as their personal Savior, acknowledge Him as their personal Lord and Savior. They fall into that category of destruction. Say, pastor, that's not fair, but we're not God. We're not God. We see that at first we see the singing, we see the struggle, and then lastly this morning we see the success. Verse 12 through 15, the psalm closes with the blessing that the righteous will experience. But do those blessings happen automatically? Or is there something that we're responsible to carry out? We see two things. The planting, in verse 12 and 13, says the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like the cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. See, David used trees often in his writings talking about the growth and how they would flourish over time and the significance of being planted. He used the Hebrew word "sadik," which means just and righteous in character and conduct. It's the same word he used to describe Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 9. It says these are the generation of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. But it's also the same word used to describe the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he? Why would David use that description for God? It's because that's God's goal for our life is that we would be just, we would be righteous, we would be pure in our dealings with other people. The contrast is found in verse number seven. You've got just and righteous people over here, and in verse number seven, you've got the wicked. But did you notice the difference between the wicked and what's growing with the wicked and what's growing with the righteous? It says, the wicked spring as the grass, but the righteous are a tree. Big difference in grass and a tree. I don't know about you. Big difference. See, grass comes and goes, but trees that are rooted and planted can last for generations. See, there is a timetable here that David is drawing our attention to. We see in Colossians chapter two, verse six and seven: As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We're to be rooted like a tree, not spring up like the grass. He says three different times, flourishing, flourishing. God doesn't want us to drop on the vine; He wants us to flourish and grow, and be fruitful. And that begins with a relationship with Jesus. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. A relationship with Jesus is all about what He has provided for you and whether or not you accept that. Will you accept what He has provided for you? John Siemens said, religion says attain, the gospel says obtain. Uh, Religion says attempt and the gospel says accept. Religion says try and the gospel says trust. Religion says, do this, and the gospel says, it is done. It is done. See, he provided salvation for us, but do we receive the gift that he's provided, the planning? And lastly, we see the producing. Verse 14 and 15 says, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Imagine that. There is no timeline of age with God when it comes to producing fruit. It's not just the responsibility of young people, church. We can all produce fruit. We can all produce fruit. And the amount of fruit that you produce is not inhibited by your age. We can all bear fruit throughout our lives. Proverbs 11 verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. There it is. And he that winneth souls is wise. I read this this past week and I thought this was fitting. Someone said, God wants spiritual fruits, not religious nuts. God wants spiritual fruits, not religious nuts. Why does God place such a huge emphasis on souls, souls, souls sharing your testimony? Why do we have a big neon blue board in the back of our room with ping pong balls and all this different stuff? And Brother John gets up and says, make sure you share your faith and engage others. And why do we make such a big emphasis on that? Because at the end of your life, the only thing that you can take with you to heaven is souls. That's the only thing. You're not going to take your 401k with you to heaven. It won't do you any good there. But you can take other people with you. Those who you have impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the question is, is anyone drawing closer to Jesus as a result of knowing you? Is anyone drawing closer to Him or are people being pushed away from Him as a result of knowing you? See, our life is supposed to be a testimony of who he is so when people look at you do they see an accurate representation of who Jesus is see it doesn't matter about the ping pong balls people are looking at you and they're looking at me whether or not they see if it's real or not they're looking at us church so when they look at us do they see Jesus every head's bowed every eyes closed this is a time for a personal reflection we're going to do something a little bit different this morning than we've done in time past we're not going to sing today we're not going to sing as far as our uh, we're we're still our music team is like what in the world are we doing we are not going to sing our music team is going to sing we're going to ask miss grace to sing a song we've already sung it this morning and I want you just to sit and think today about what God has spoken to your heart about. Now, I want us to really have a time of reflection, what He has spoken to us. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, hey, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know that heaven's my home. I don't know if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. I, you know, I don't know. I don't have that answer. You know, If somebody asks me, where are you going to go when you die? I don't know. Maybe that's you. And I would challenge you this morning that salvation is all about knowing that you're a sinner and you have a need, knowing that Jesus died on the cross to meet that need and then responding to the need, responding to what He has offered and receiving Him. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's simply establishing a relationship with Jesus. That's what salvation is. And it's clearly spelled out in His Word. And maybe that's you today. Whether you're in the room or watching online, maybe that is your personal story, your testimony. And you say, you know, Pastor, that's me. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. See, knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus are two totally different things. You can know a lot about Jesus without truthfully knowing Jesus or Jesus knowing you. And this morning with no one looking around, heads are bowed, I'd like to pray for you. If that's your story, your testimony, you say, Pastor, I really don't know Jesus. I don't, I don't know that if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. I just don't know. I'm not convinced. Oh, can I be your friend this morning and pray for you? We have personal workers all around the room. And they're positioned in front of you and behind you, not to embarrass you, but to pray with you. And Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I, I want somebody to pray with me. I would love for somebody to be my friend this morning and just pray for me. That before I die, that I'll get that settled, that I'll know where I'm gonna spend eternity. Bible gives us two very clear options where people, every person, will go. The Bible calls one place heaven, he calls the other place hell. And every person who's ever existed will end up in one of those two places. So the question this morning is where will you be? And we would love to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here to say, Pastor, pray for me. No one's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you, call your name, send somebody to talk to you. But I would like to pray for you. Maybe you say, Pastor, please pray for me. Is that you? Would you simply slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. I'm just not sure. But pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Maybe somebody else would say, Pastor, I haven't raised my hand yet, but I'll raise it right now. Just ask you to pray for me. Just ask you to pray for me. Don't send somebody to talk to me. Don't come call my name, anything like that. But would you pray for me? Is that you? I don't want to miss you. Pray for me, Pastor. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Maybe that's you. You haven't raised your hand yet, but say, Pastor, I'm concerned. And I just ask you to pray for me. Be my friend. Please pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? I don't want to miss you, but I would like to pray for you. Maybe you're here this morning and your life is not an accurate representation of someone who walks with Jesus. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your testimony. Maybe you would say, hey, pastor, I couldn't invite anybody to church right now because they'd laugh at me. Or they'd say, you go to church? They would be shocked because I'm not an accurate representation of a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's your story. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would ask you to talk to the Lord about it this morning. Miss Grace is going to sing that song, Jesus, Thank You. And we're just going to sit right in our seat, not even going to have you stand up. But I'm going to ask you literally just to talk to the Lord this morning. Whether you want to do it in your seat, whether you want to come forward and want to pray at the altar. But while we listen to this song this morning, we have a reason to thank the Lord. But do you have a reason to thank the Lord? Do you have a reason to praise Him? Is He your Savior? Personal workers behind you, in front of you, one of these folks would be honored to pray with you, to encourage you to take the Bible and show you how you can become a follower of Jesus and establish that relationship. Whatever you need today, we want to be a blessing to you. We want to help you. Whatever your need is, can we be your friend? Father, please bless this time of reflection. Lord, speak to hearts as only you can. Lord, I ask that you please help people to be serious about this thing of walking with you, talking with you. And Lord, when we have that relationship established, help us to praise you For who you are, for being good and faithful. Lord, the wicked stumble in darkness. And Lord, they don't understand what you're doing. But Lord, you're trying to get them to the place where they acknowledge you. And Lord, for the righteous, it's the same way. Lord, you put us on that path. You steer us in the direction. And sometimes there's pain and hurt and struggle involved. But Lord, the purpose is to acknowledge you. And to praise you for who you are and your faithfulness to us. Lord, please help us to praise you for you alone are worthy. And help us to say what this song says, Jesus, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's take a moment and just reflect on what God's done. If you want to come and pray, we're not going to have you stand. If you want to come to the altar and pray, if you want to just pray there in your seat, this grace is going to sing, Jesus, thank you.